0: Welcome to the Provcast, the regular podcast of Providence, a journal of Christianity and American foreign policy. And I'm managing editor Drew Griffin. This week we have a special guest, Jason Thacker, who is with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention. He's an associate research fellow there. He is an author and a writer of an upcoming book, The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity, which is out in 2020. And he's a frequent speaker and writer for Christianity Today and other publications on the topic of artificial intelligence. In April of this year, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission released a a special statement concerning artificial intelligence entitled Artificial Intelligence and the Evangelical Statement of Principles. So, Jason is our guest, and we're going to talk about all things artificial intelligence. Thankfully, his intelligence is, isn't artificial, so I'm glad to have you here, Jason.
1: Well, it's really glad to be with you and um, exciting times we live in.
0: Yeah, I know, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, we here at Providence exists to equip uh, the American mind to engage the real world. And and one of the issues that I think confronts uh, American minds and Christian minds is, as we head into the uh, 21st century is the idea of technology, is the idea of artificial intelligence. And that that is, uh, you know, a lot of times because it's such a new field, Um, since artificial intelligence was coined, I think, around 1956 or so. I mean, this is not something that Christians have dealt with for centuries, uh, necessarily. Um, There can be a lot of confusion as to, you know, are there benefits to it? Are there downsides to it? Can you kind of help maybe orient us a little bit, just by even beginning and explaining of of what artificial intelligence is before we maybe jump into some of the uh, potential ethical pitfalls that exist with it?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, artificial intelligence is an emerging field of technology. As you said, it's been a, the term was coined in 1956 by John McCarthy uh, with a small study group that he had convened at Dartmouth College um, to study the idea of having machines think. And so artificial intelligence is simply the ability to program a machine to um, exhibit complex, uh, to exhibit complex goals or non-biological intelligence. So instead of programming it, you say one plus one equals two, that's true. But if you say one plus what equals two, the idea is that the machine is able to think and to um, accomplish a complex goal based on a set of variables uh, so it can look at a problem or a situation where they're super simple or actually pretty advanced these days um, to produce an answer. Um, And so artificial intelligence is something that drives so much of what we use every single day. Um, A lot of people don't know about it because often what we think of with AI is um, actually what's called artificial general intelligence. What we have now is called narrow intelligence. Narrow is just, it's simple, it's uh, very goal oriented to a specific goal. And that means that, uh, that AI cannot be applied to any problem, just the specific problem it was designed for to um, but AGI or artificial general intelligence um, is a general level intelligence and the only general level intelligence in the history of the world is uh, human beings um, and so the idea of having a human level intelligence is something that's probably far off in the future if we're not even sure if it's possible that's still debatable but what we're dealing with today is called narrow intelligence our narrow AI
0: So explain a little bit then how, like, how does narrow AI play out? Like, how does that kind of manifest itself, not only maybe in our our daily lives, but in the the bigger picture in in terms of maybe how nations relate or how nations implement technology in terms of maybe defense or in terms of economics?
1: Yeah, simply, um, I mean, almost every single day you interact with some form of AI. This could be from, or an algorithm, uh, to put it another way. And this could be simply your social media feeds uh, that it's the social media company has an algorithm or an AI that is um, choosing what you see. It's defining. So it's putting in case you missed it on Twitter or, hey, we really thought you would like this or on Amazon or Netflix where it's like, hey, you've purchased this or you've watched this before. We think you would really enjoy this. Um, then you, those are very simple algorithms. And then you kind of go more complex to so the idea of self driving cars or an AI being used in criminal justice reform, uh, criminal justice reform in the sentencing aspect of taking in a ton of variables and producing the likelihood uh, that someone would recommit. And so they might be able to get a shorter. Um, prison stay or they might be they might be assigned a longer one based on our variable factors. Obviously, when you get into that level of authority and kind of moral decision making, things become really complicated um, and there's a lot of moral and ethical issues that really need to be thought out because the more we employ these things, they are faster and smarter and more efficient than human beings and very narrow tasks, but we need to make sure that um, these things are being used in ways that, in a Christian worldview, that honor God and help us to love our neighbor. As we see what Jesus talks about in Matthew 22, where he defines what is the greatest commandment. That's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so at the ERLC and through my work, that's kind of the rubric or the framework that I want Christians, um, but ultimately we want our culture to be thinking through is how do we love God and honor him, but also how do we love our neighbor and recognize the human dignity element there? Because there's a tendency in our culture um, currently, but really it's been the way, it's always been this way, is to value someone based on their economic utility, or to uh, value someone based on their contributions to society rather than who they are um, as a human being with infinite value and worth, as Christians define, because they're created in the image of God. So when you think about AI being played out on like the larger world scale, these technologies are being used um, not only within the United States, but in multiple nations across the world, and they have real world implications
0: so describe for us then you know how I mean a lot of people especially in the secular world um, as they're addressing AI and, and and talking about the development of technology kind of view it as it's a kind of ag- agnostic right that a technology in general is morally neutral that it can either be good it can either be bad that they' it's sort of um, it's it's basically like a hammer. I mean, it's just something. It's there. It exists. You can either use it to uh, build a barn or you can use it to tear one down. Um, there's it, it's kind of morally neutral. How do you then kind of? Go into this culture and, and, and speak uh, uh, and, and kind of inject kind of a moral language. I mean, how do you begin to apply a morality to a, a field, especially in science and technology, that so many of its practitioners say morality is not in play here, right? It's, it's just are we able to do it? Are we not? um you know if if this can help make people's lives better great even if it has some risks so how do you and and is that part of your hope here to use this uh statement of um uh, on artificial intelligence to kind of inform uh the sector that's developing these um uh, these capabilities
1: yeah, you're exactly right. We developed this statement. Uh, it's a combination of there were about 18 different folks that were part of the drafting of the statement. Now it's been signed by just over 70 evangelical leaders. The hope, and there's two kind of twofold. One, we want to um, help equip the church to engage these issues proactively. Uh, so, for so long, the church has been behind on social issues, meaning um, an issue happens in society, and then churches have to respond to it. So you have issues of race or abortion or sexuality issues, and the church is coming back after the fact, reaffirming the truth of God, saying this is what how God defines sexuality or how we should interact with one another in terms of racial issues. Um, but what we really hope, we know the kind of transformative impact that AI is going to have on our society. There's tons of projections about how it's going to change really every area of society, but specifically in how we work and economics and foreign policy. And so our hope with this statement is to uh, have some moral clarity and uh, guidelines uh, for not only the church to start thinking about these issues proactively rather than reactively, but also for the watching world to say, this is how believers, this is how Christians think about these technologies. This is how they believe these technologies should be developed and used and employed. Now, we know that not everyone's going to agree with us on that. The hope is, instead of basing our ethics and our morality on cultural norms, uh, which shift and change over time, is that we as a as a people of God, but also as a society would base our morality and ethics on something more stable, uh, that transcendent truth uh, that comes down from God to say, this is what is right and wrong. This is what is good and evil. This is what can be used with wisdom uh, for God's glory and for the love of neighbor. And so that's really our hope with this statement is because there is a lot of um, confusion about what it means to be human, uh, there's a lot of confusion on how we should be pursuing these uh, innovations, and there's also uh, just a lot of moral ambiguity of is this right or is this right or what is so it's very inconsistent. Um, and you have a lot of corporations and governments doing really good work, but when you look at when they look at their ethical guidelines, uh, they're just kind of all across the board because they're trying to. Um, shore up kind of support on various areas and various different uh, viewpoints and groups. And so what we hope is to provide a consistent moral ethic um, as the church, because we know that God speaks to all things, not just uh, the church and how we interact, but even the technologies we develop um, and these tools that he's given us, because ultimately we can use them with wisdom for
0: good. So there are uh, three uh, of the 12 articles in the statement that uh, the ERLC released on artificial intelligence that have to do with uh, security and war and public policy. And since uh, uh, Providence is a journal of Christianity and foreign policy, I want to dwell on these three a little bit. You deal specifically with security, you deal with war, and you deal with public policy, and make some statements in here of – you know, not allowing AI to um, kind of obfuscate uh, human agency or moral culpability uh, in in terms of war. Uh, that it should, you know, uh, not be employed to, you know, harm fellow human beings, and and uh, these statements, I think, you know, obviously morally um, carry a lot of weight and and make sense. But in in terms of living in kind of a real world, when we're dealing with geopolitical foes, if you look at you know, China, if you look at Russia, that uh, are you know developing um, weapons, developing um, uh, offensive uh, tech uh, capabilities, technical capabilities um, that are utilized. Artificial intelligence. I mean, we live in a world in which uh, you know it's it's a shame that uh, weapons exist and that uh, wars exist and that bombs exist. But sometimes it you know bombs have to be employed, guns have to be fired, missiles have to be launched, um, and bad you know uh, bad people have to be stopped. And and so help walk us through maybe um, some of the the thought process and the drafting of this document that that helps navigate through uh, the the complexities that you know we're facing. Here of the hard decisions sometimes that have to be faced uh, in the light of even our own kind of moral preferences.
1: Yeah, um, specifically, I will kind of hone in on the war article. Um, this is something that has received a lot of attention, uh, just kind of how do we use AI in warfare and in military context over the last couple of years. Um, even kind of what helped spark the idea um, and the vision for this statement itself was uh, last summer, Early last spring, you had uh, Google, who has worked on multiple uh, defense contracts or military contracts with the Department of Defense over the years. Big tech has always done this. This has been something that's very common within the tech field to work on these military contracts. Um, But just recently, just over a year ago, Google was um, working on a defense project called Project Maven. And Project Maven is an algorithm. It's an AI uh, that you used uh, it's an Im- image recognition so similar to um, if you have on your computer if you have like a photos app and the photo app would come up and tell you hey this is drew and this is jason and you haven't labeled it that way it just says hey i know i've seen this face before it looks like drew so this must be drew uh, similarly you know much more complex obviously this algorithm would uh, go through uh, drone footage. Um, we, The United States has been using drones for a number of years. Uh, the number of drone strikes um, used in war was um, exponentially increased under the uh, Obama administration and uh, continues into the Trump administration. And the reason is, is because they can be more precise um, that's part of just war theory that Christians have held on to for thousands of years is this idea that we this we don't want to kill indiscriminately we want to kill um, because we're seeking justice when it's not really a desire to kill per se as much as to enact justice and to punish those who do evil. And so these tools, uh, these drone strikes can actually be used uh, to be more precise and not have to put boots on the ground and in harm's way. So as these drones are being used, they're capturing countless hours of video footage that no human being or group of human beings would have any any time to go through, but there's valuable data in them. So Project Maven, this AI was designed to scour the video data and, I, and an object identify objects within the data and then report back. Well, when this the news of this really broke within the Google community that this is what they were working on with the Department of Defense, there was outrage. Uh, there was protests from senior level engineers all the way down to just your kind of everyday employees. Uh, I think at the last total, there was nearly 8,000 or just over 8,000 employees. Uh, to put that in perspective, there are about 82,000 employees at Google. And so, a sizable chunk—about um, ten percent or so—of their employee base was protesting the company's involvement in this, saying that Google should not have any, should not be in the business of war. Um, their historic motto had been "Don't do or don't be evil," um, so they don't want to participate in these things because these tools, rightly, can be misused. Uh, they can be used to identify anything within the the drone data. Um, now, obviously, we as a nation, I would hope, would rise to the occasion and use these things in an ethical way, um, in line with Just war theory. but the Google employees processed their involvement, and kind of famously, um, Sundar Pashai, the CEO, canceled the contract, uh, said that they're not going to do business with the United States government and the United States military um, on AI developments, and then subsequently released a guide, some of their ethical guidelines. So when we were looking at developing the statement of principles, AI is going to be used in war. It is already used in war. This isn't some future phenomenon. This is a current reality that each of us, um, that we're already using, whether it's drones, uh, different types of semi-autonomous to bordering on fully autonomous weapons, um, missile defense systems. Um, The reason we have to use these systems is because the reaction time is getting shorter and shorter. And so if a nation launches a missile at the United States, we obviously want to intercept and take down that missile, but also respond in kind. And often that's not a matter of days or weeks to be able to respond, it's moments. Um, and so these systems can run much faster, and that narrow task, like we talked about earlier, um, than a human being. And so we naturally want to use them in order for, uh, for defense issues, um, but also engagement on the field where we can save human lives. So when we were developing this statement, we want that guiding ethic of love of God and love of neighbor. Um, the idea that every human being is created in the image of God and has infinite value and worth to really define how we think about engaging in war and public policy and security and data and privacy to drive all of these issues. So in our statement, specifically in war, we talk about just war theory, um, about how AI can be used in line with that. But we also know that AI can be used um, by nations and groups to carry out genocide, terrorism, torture, and other war crimes. And so we wanted to publicly deny those uses and affirm the good uses of this technology that can be used to save human lives and uphold the dignity as we pursue justice for those who are voiceless and oppressed and um, being downtrodden because of various issues um, on the international stage.
0: What has the reception been like uh, since the statement has been released? I mean, is there? It's one thing to kind of release these articles and kind of develop it and draft it, and and uh, how do you prevent it from becoming just an internal argument within, you know, the Christian Church or an internal statement kind of within the Christian Church? Is there, uh, you know, effort or initiative that you uh, at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission have uh, put in place to try and and you know uh, proliferate? Uh, this statement out, or to get other signatories to it that are outside of kind of the Christian faith, or people that buy into it, or people who are in the, uh, you know, defense uh, institutions. Like, what has the reception been like, and what are the kind of hopes that you have for this statement in the in the broader marketplace?
1: Yeah, in terms of the statement, we intentionally want to make sure that this is an evangelical statement, um, so that those who sign on to the statement. Um, that are at the bottom, this is not an open sign-on kind of letter, Um, were specifically chosen and asked to be part of this. Uh, They represent kind of a large swath of evangelicalism. The best part is, and what we really wanted to do from the early drafting committee all the way to the signers, is not just have pastors and theologians sign it. So there are a number of folks who have signed it that work in technology, that work in public policy, that work in law, that work in medicine and defense and military applications who have read and reviewed. Some have been able to sign based on their um, organization's policy. Some haven't. We have a number from the tech industry. That's kind of one of the biggest criticisms that publicly we've had is you don't have it. We look at the document and you don't have a ton of uh, technologists signing on. Well, a number of these technologists work for companies that have just corporate policies that they don't sign on to public statements. Uh, which we totally understand and recognize and want to um, value them in that way, and so we didn't some assigned on as uh, private you know church members or pastors, and then some chose not to sign for various political reasons or organizational reasons, um, but the hope for this statement is we already we have a washington d c office that does a lot of our public policy they're distributing this among um, different organizations that we work with uh, in D.C. and outside of D.C. Working, uh, putting this in the hands of, even at our event last week, we had uh, some members of uh, HSS were there, Health and Human Services. We have a number of defense kind of national security advisors to various folks, on uh, members of Congress and members of or- organizations in D.C. who have read and starting to use the statement, as well as I'm I was really encouraged to see some of the reception online, a number of ethics professors, not just within Christian universities or seminaries, but outside of that. We um, had a number of ethics professors teaching AI and ethics or technology ethics um, saying, hey, this is interesting. We don't agree. We don't have to agree with everything in it, but we find it interesting that a group of Christians uh, want to think this proactively about the technology with that consistent moral ethic. And so the reception's been really good. We're getting this into people's hands. We hope that there's further discussion. That was one of our big hopes from the very beginning was that we developed a statement not as the end-all statement. This is not the only thing that can be said. This is actually, it's very principial. It's um, not a statement of applications. It's a statement of principles. And so there, we know that we did not address everything that people want us to address. Um, and applying this moral these moral principles to specific applications. Um, we hope that this furthers the discussion. and so far it has. And I've been really, really encouraged by that and hope that uh, the Lord continues to use this ultimately for the upbuilding of His church, uh, but also to be used um, in the broader society, hopefully so that we can see AI develop for good um, and not being misused and abused. Uh, as so many technologies have been in the past.
0: Is there a desire on your part or on the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission to perhaps see, like, maybe a broader uh, ecumenical statement take shape that uh, could, you know, reach beyond evangelical borders or reach into uh, states that, you know, the evangelical witness is, is, doesn't carry maybe a, a whole lot of weight, but there can still be a, a lot of ethical weight and truth um, in, in what you're trying to communicate, you know, considering the fact that AI and many of these issues um. Are, you know, are in multiple continents and multiple countries and multiple cultures, whether they're Islamic cultures or Jewish cultures or, or rather relatively secular cultures. Is there, uh, you know, a hope on your part that not only that you can be a, a light and a witness to the evangelical culture, but that, um, uh, uh, there can be some, maybe a broader statement that this could spur on that might get signatories to to sign on, or is this something you want to c- continue uh, to keep kind of restricted just within the evangelical community to hopefully influence uh, from the outside?
1: We definitely don't want to keep this kind of within the evangelical culture. Uh, the hope is that this would continue to further discussion amongst uh, evangelicals, but also amongst uh, kind of broader ecumenical groups, Um, and even outside of that within government and corporations. So the hope is this kind of spurs further conversation. I would really hope, um, and it would be incredibly encouraging if we could have multiple voices from a very diverse group of viewpoints uh, to come together to develop um, a better statement, a, a better statement in the sense of maybe not as theologically narrow Uh, but more kind of broader that would be able to be used. I would really hope that would be the case. I'm not sure that we would be able uh, to get that level of buy-in. You see, there's just within the AI community, but even within technology at large, um, there's a resistance to certain viewpoints. And we've kind of experienced that. We knew that there was going to be certain pushbacks um, and things that we received based on this statement, based on various viewpoints, even thinking about sexuality and bringing that into the conversation with the rise of sex robots and these things being used to objectify uh, sexual gratification. There are a number of people who vehemently disagree with us on that issue. Uh, We expected that and that's been, well, there's nothing been surprising there. The problem in the broader culture is that as much as we talk about idea of tolerance and the diversity of viewpoints, there are certain viewpoints that are diverse, and there are certain viewpoints that are hateful and bigoted, and you are not welcome at the table. Um, I hope that would not be the case um, within the broader culture, that we could develop some type of statement. I don't know what that exactly would look like, but it would be very hopeful for something
0: like that. So your book uh, that is coming out in 2020, which is really not all that uh, far away, uh, The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Talk to us a little bit maybe about that of what you hope to what's in the book and what you hope to accomplish with it.
1: Yeah, and some of that's going to parallel with the statement that we produced. So I was working on both of these projects concurrently. um, And so it's been a very, very busy season uh, for my family, especially But what I do in the book is the book is designed to be um, used at the lay level. It's not an academic work. The idea is that I wrote it in hopes that even my mother would be able to pick it up. She's an incredibly gifted woman. Uh, She works in the medical field and has for about 35 years now, but she's not thinking in like um, incredibly deep theological categories, very academic type writing. She's more on the lay level. And so my hope was to be able to write a book that an everyday person could pick up and learn more about what is AI. So the first chapter we is kind of foundational. What is artificial intelligence? What is technology? And what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Uh, that's kind of central to my argument about human dignity um, in the age of AI. So we do that in the first chapter and then I kind of move on addressing, addressing specific issues. So ideas of how we view ourselves in light of modern technology, uh, our families, our work, our society. We talk. I have a chapter on war. I have a chapter on data and privacy. Um, a number of other chapters, and the very last chapter. There's eight total chapters in the book. The very last chapter, I talk about the future of artificial intelligence. There's a lot of talk about the idea of uh, general intelligence, artificial general intelligence that we talked about earlier. Um, the idea of the singularity this moment, this horizon where our AIs are going to become so smart that they're going to kind of overshadow us and take off. They'll wake up one day, popular science fiction ideas that your robot decides to wake up one day and takes over your household or takes over the world. Um, and also into super intelligence, something that we can't even really imagine. The only super intelligence, there's a professor John Lennox out of the uh, UK in He was I I was listening to a podcast the other day and he said something that I thought was brilliant. Um, We already have a super intelligence and that's God, Um, meaning that we are a general level intelligence, but a super level intelligence, something greater than human intelligence. We already have. And that's uh, Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God. Um, I thought that was a really brilliant kind of turn of phrase that we already have a super intelligence for all of our pursuit and uh, goals of creating that we already have that and so the debate's still out even if those things are possible so I dive into that a little bit um, in that chapter and the hope of the book is to really um, help believers specifically but even the broader culture to engage these issues because I do believe there's a lot of hype um, there's a lot of confusion around what AI is, what it can do, what it's going to do to us, what it's going to do to our society. And the hope is to bring some clarity and help Christians to really um, focus how we think through these things through a a framework of Matthew 22, about loving God and loving our neighbor um, through that idea of the image of God. And so that's really the gist of the book is to provide a guide for Christians to be able to engage these issues that are often complicated and complex Um, To just provide that kind of foundational type of work to hopefully spur more conversation and debate and to equip believers to engage uh, the watching world uh, with wisdom and gospel minded focus.
0: Well, when the book comes out, we hope that uh, you'll come back on, and uh, we'd love to uh, talk more about it more in depth. My um, guest today has been uh, Jason Thacker, who is Associate Research Fellow at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, at Jason Thacker, and read his writing at Christianity Today and JasonThacker.com. Jason, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Provcast, a regular podcast of Providence, a journal of Christianity and American foreign policy. You can find us online at ProvidenceMag.com, follow us on Twitter at ProvMagazine, and download this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.